Good morning and welcome to AC23, the podcast of the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge. I'm your host, Pam Bordelon, and joining me this morning is author and musician Sam Irwin. Welcome, Sam. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. So you've got a new book out, and it is titled Hidden History of Louisiana's Jazz Age, which sounds like a fascinating topic, and everybody knows when you th- say jazz, you automatically think of New Orleans and Louisiana. So how did, how did you get started with this book? Well, I, I'm from a small town. I'm from Brobridge. Okay. You know? And when I was reading about these early musicians, you, you know, they all went to New Orleans. They got associated with New Orleans, but the, a lot of them weren't from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And so I started just looking to see where they were from. Some were, some was from Bunky. A few were from the Donisonville area. Uh, there was a whole jazz scene in the uh, Bayou Tesh region, and I thought that was a fascinating story to tell. So I started re- researching those stories. Okay. So have you always been a fan of jazz, or is this kind of a newfound thing? I, I think, uh, you know, growing up in Louisiana, you know, where I come from is Cajun and Zydeco. Yeah. We always heard that, and that was always kind of in the back of back of our brains. Yeah. But New Orleans music was always in the back of our brains because, uh, you, know, you know, even in Brobridge, I certainly knew who Louis Armstrong was <laughs> sure. as, a young, as a young kid and, yeah. and starting on trumpet at, at the high school there and playing in the band there. So, okay. you know, you wanted to be sound like Louis Armstrong. Okay. So you're a trumpet player. I, I am. Okay. I am. We like to be in the front. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like an author. got to be out there. Yeah. Huh? Yes, yes. So when did you start playing the trumpet? <clears throat> well, um, the fellas from Lafayette Music came to our school when I was in sixth grade, St. Bernard in Brobridge. And uh, one of my classmates had been taking clarinet lessons, and he invited her to stand up in front of the whole school, which could fit in in one room. Yeah, I, I and, went to and, one similar. And she played the clarinet. <laughs> and I went home, and I begged my mom to buy me a trumpet. Okay. You know, I begged her, and she said, "Oh, Sam, you, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna. No, no, I swear, I swear, I won't. I'm gonna <laughs> play it. I'm gonna play it." And she bought me a, a professional grade horn when I was a senior in high school. Oh, wow! And I, I started out as a, a music education major. Lasted two years mm-hmm. in that. I decided, no, band directing is not going to be for me. <laughs> Too many kids. Oh, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I took I took my first history test, and I made like a ninety five on it, hardly studying at all. And I said, "Oh, I'm going to do history. I'm good at history. Yeah, and I'm sure I'll find a job some kind of way later." <laughs> so, what did you end up doing? Because you're you're not a teacher. Well, um, I think I've done I, I think I've done just a, a lot of different things. I, I did I taught for a year. Okay, taught for a year at Turlings Catholic High School in Lafayette. Go Rebels! <laughs> and uh, and uh, and then uh, I went into uh, my parents and grandparents' uh, grocery store business and crawfish business. Okay, so uh, I grew up in the crawfish business. My grandfather was one of the pioneers. Okay. In the crawfish business in Henderson. Okay. So you know, I kind of yeah, when claim, you think crawfish, you think Henderson. In oh, Brubridge. sure. Yeah, yeah. You know. Okay. And so I, I did that for a while. Um, 
I had a honky-tonk. I ran a honky-tonk in Burbridge in the early 80s. Okay. A lot of fun doing that. And then, then, uh, you know, circumstances brought me to Baton Rouge. And somehow or another, I got in the record store business. And I own Paradise Records. And I ran Paradise Records from 1988 to 2001. Okay. You know, which was a that. lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun owning a record store. Yeah. I was a cool guy. Yeah. You know, you, know, you, you, knew, you knew all, you knew about all the music then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you learn which ones sell and which ones don't. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so how did you, um, did you play trumpet throughout all this whole time or? Well, you know, that's, that's the kind of crazy thing. You know, I, I played a little bit after I quit trying to be a, uh, uh, a uh, Chicago-style blood, sweat, and tears player, uh-huh. you know. And I'd play occasionally for Christmas, but essentially I didn't play my horn for about 30 years, 25 to 30 years. And then I heard the day after Alan Toussaint died, mm-hmm. I listened to one of his records, an album called The Bright Mississippi. Yeah. And Nicholas Payton is a trumpet player on that, and he played... This early New Orleans jazz that I'm sure Alan Toussaint must have selected all of the tunes. Yeah. And Nicholas Payton is a professional, and he made it sound so easy. (laughs) And I thought, oh, man, I could do that. I could do that. And he inspired me to pick up my horn, and I started practicing uh, about seven years ago. Okay. Yeah. So now Mm -hmm. I practice more now. (laughs) <laughs> than than I did when I was a music education major. <laughs> Isn't that the way it always works? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to do it, so I will. Yeah, yeah. And and then uh, uh, I started asking almost everybody I saw, "Are you a musician? Are you a musician?" And I got together this little core group, and you know, almost every Saturday for about two years, you know, we'd gather at my house and. Uh, we were we were playing, and I'd find music for us to play. I didn't know what what it was really called, and and later uh, I went to the New Orleans Traditional Jazz Camp, uh-huh. which is that you know, um, it's mostly uh, people with some disposable income that can go to sure. New Orleans, and it's a camp. They have professionals teaching um, musicians how to, you know in the style of New Orleans traditional jazz. Yeah. And so I learned, oh, it's called traditional jazz. You know, <laughs> I had always thought Dixieland jazz. But, yeah. but that's, you know, that's kind of a ter- term that's a little bit out of favor. Mm-hmm. Um, the New Orleans musicians just kind of prefer to call it New Orleans music. Okay. Some prefer to call it traditional jazz. But uh, okay. it's early jazz. And okay. it was created essentially by the... Uh, african-americans in mm-hmm. new orleans and okay. it's real fun to play so this little collection that you have it has a name this little collection of players that join you for all oh, this stuff yeah. <laughs> i'm so glad you mentioned that <laughs> yeah uh, well there were a couple of players that lived right off of florida street and mm-hmm. so i just said well why don't we call ourselves the florida street blowhards mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they, nobody disagreed with me. It stuck, you know? huh? <laughs> so we are the Florida Street Blowhards, and we have been playing uh, jazz music in the Baton Rouge area now for six years. Wow! You know, so so uh, 
how did that kind of meld into your writing this book that learning about what you were playing and that 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 path you traveled to lead to this book y- yes and no um uh, when uh when when paradise records closed in 2001 <coughs> i went around from job to job you know yeah looking looking for something i was depressed it took me a while to mm-hmm. kind of get my head back I'm on sure. right and um and then one day I remembered, oh, shucks, I used to do journalism when I was in college. Uh, and I called my friend Phil Womack, a copy editor over at The Advocate. Yeah. I said, Phil, listen, I'll cover the meeting that nobody wants to cover. <laughs> I'll cover a drainage committee, a levy board meeting. And uh, pretty soon John McMillan called me back and said, oh, we want you to go cover the town of Donisonville for the paper. So I started stringing for the advocate. Okay. And I and I did that. <coughs> and in the meantime, I got a job as a public information officer under Bob Odom at the Department of Agriculture and Forestry. Okay. Okay. Did you know Larry Mishu? Larry's the one that hired, he hired me. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I Larry, knew him. Nice man. Larry gave me a great break and he said, uh, you're you're my writer. I, uh, <laughs> Uh, Mr. Odom wants to write, make the market bulletin, the Louisiana market bulletin, mm-hmm. a feature newspaper. Yeah. And so I got to travel all over the state interviewing farmers and fishermen and cattlemen and foresters and scientists and okay. writing all these great stories for the market bulletin. Yeah. It's kind of fun, the people you get to meet when you do that for a living, that you know you would never cross paths with otherwise. That That's one thing that's great about journalism. Yeah. Uh, you get to do cool stuff. You get to go places that most people don't go. Yeah. And it's not always somebody fancy or somebody famous. Sometimes it's just the average Joe Blow on the street that touches your life the most. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, you know, you get to that one-on-one as one writer uh, told me you get to a bar stool to bar stool yeah. relationship with them. Yeah. So um, the hidden history of Louisiana's jazz is not your first book. So what what was your first book? Well, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I owned a record store for a while, mm-hmm. and I was in retail for a long time. And then I was writing fiction, and I was participating in a writer's group. And then I got a job as a writer, and I was writing for The Advocate. But it just took me such a long time, two, three years after I'd been already making my living writing, Mm -hmm. before I could call myself a writer, writer, you know? Yeah. But I was making my living being being a writer. I was, you know, working for the Ag and Forestry as a public information officer, doing journalism for uh, the Advocate, mm-hmm. writing fiction, <coughs> and and I was freelancing a little bit around town. And all of a sudden, I'm a writer. <laughs> and now, 20 years later, I've, I've been in agricultural journalism for 20 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so uh, I I did all the stuff that writers are supposed to do. You know, the ones that are trying to be the next great American novelist. Yeah, we built, all are. <laughs> built a website, uh-huh. built a website, and uh, a um, commissioning agent from a publisher called History Press, based in Charleston, South Carolina, called me up and said, We saw your website, and uh, um, you, do you have any book ideas for us? You know, and 
And I didn't really want to write non nonfiction, mm -hmm. but uh, I had a couple of ideas. Okay. Um, and um, I had traveled around the state, and I was taking photographs of roadside memorials. Mm-hmm. You've seen them. I you know, have where, seen where them. Been and some of that, those, are, those are stories waiting to be yeah. told. And I, I had mm -hmm. hundreds of photos of that, and yeah. I had a book proposal, and I gave that to History Press. And they turned that down in about 10 seconds. <laughs> Not their cup of tea, huh? <laughs> no. So I said, well, okay, maybe I could write a book about crawfish. Okay. And they said, put a book proposal together. And so uh, I did. And, and Louisiana Crawfish, a succulent history of the Cajun crustacean came out of that. Okay. And, you know, it's... It's, it's a nice book. It's got color photos in it. Okay. I grew up in the crawfish business. I think I was singularly uh, the person to do that book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what was book number two? Well, I didn't want to be a writer that just had one book. No, you can't do that. You, you don't know. want to be a one-hit wonder. <laughs> oh, that's kind of oh. a one-hit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um so I proposed another book, and a lot of it was based on some of the writings I had done for for the Market Bulletin, for the Advocate for Country Roads, uh -huh. and I wrote about different cultural activities that we do in Louisiana. Okay. And that one's called um, It Happens in Louisiana, Peculiar Tales, Traditions, and Recipes from okay. the Bayou. And uh, I have my grandmother's rice and gravy Oh, wow. Recipe in that. Of course, cooking rice and gravy in South Louisiana just basically means you put a round steak in the pot and cook it at a slow heat until it's tender. That's huh? it. Is that right? That's it. But, you know, we, we're... Everybody has their secret to how they make theirs taste better than the next guy. So I'm sure your grandmother's is a good one. Well, it, I think it was just a controlled burn. Yeah. <laughs> so... What's your favorite story, or one of your favorite? I know it's like picking your favorite child. What is one of your favorite stories out of the jazz book? What is what is something that you learned that just really you were like, wow? Well, you know, I, this book kind of came out of um, the hidden history of Louisiana's jazz age. Came out of my research into some of the songs that the band was playing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's great songs. I wish I could shimmy like my sister Kate. Uh, uh, um, I ain't gonna give nobody none of this jelly roll, and you know those titles uh -huh. like where where do they come from? Yeah. And I was reading a lot about the musicians, and uh, so these little s stories popped up. I'm going, wait, did he just say that? F for instance, here in Baton Rouge, there's a famous musician. His name was Joe Darrensborg. Mm -hmm. His family is still here. They run the Darrensburg shoe shop over there on Drusilla. Yeah. And uh, I bring all my shoes over there to, <laughs> to get them repaired. And uh, I said, is that your, is, is Joe Darrensburg your relationship? And, and a bunch of the Darrensburgs are named Joseph. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure exactly what relation he is, but I think he's a great uncle. Yeah. And, um, but Joe Darrensburg was born here in Baton Rouge, right around where the overpass on North Boulevard is. That's okay. where he grew up. That's where okay. one of their stores was. And uh, he's actually the clarinet player uh, 
that played on Louis Armstrong's hit "Hello Dolly." Oh wow! In 1964. Wow. And and "Hello Dolly" knocked the Beatles off of the yes, chart. Yes, it did. I remember then. when that happened. <laughs> you know, and even me as a little kid in Burbridge, uh, I'm about ten years old, and I like the Beatles. But when I heard that song come on the radio, I'm going, man, look at look at Louis Armstrong go, yeah, you know, <laughs> and and it it grew on you, and I, I still like the song. But Joe Darensborg grew up in Baton Rouge, and he was born in um, uh, what was it, nineteen nineteen ten, nineteen. I can't remember okay. right off, but nineteen teens somewhere in there, yeah, okay. in the like nineteen ten. Okay. So he's he's about. Uh, Ten years old when Louis Armstrong is eighteen years old, and um, okay. he has a, a book that uh, uh, an autobiography that was written about him. Oh wow! Called uh, "Jazz Odyssey: The Autobiography of Joe Darensborg. Hmm. And I'm reading it, and you know, I don't, th- I didn't get past the first forty, fifty pages because he had so many interesting things in his early life. Yeah. That screamed right about this that I did. <laughs> yeah. You know? Okay. But one of the things was by he was playing in a band from Opelousas. All right. Mm-hmm. And uh, they toured around Opelousas, Ville Platte, Eunice area, Chatagne, or Chantonnier, as the French would say over mm-hmm. there. But uh, And he, he wrote. One day we were in Villeplatte and we witnessed the public execution. Oh, wow. And so I, I looked up the name and he, he has a couple of little facts wrong because mm-hmm. it's, it's tricky, you know, as a historian, yeah. as a writer, you want corroboration. And it, it took me a little bit to find it, but certainly there was a public execution of a murderer in Villeplatte. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so... I started researching that, and uh, I found out that uh, the people in Evangeline Parish kind of know about it, mm-hmm. but that happened in 1923. Wow. And they built a gallows, and the public was invited, and the person who was the murderer, he actually turned out to have been a serial murderer. Good. Although at that time, they didn't, they, know, didn't... they didn't know that term. yeah. So if wow. that doesn't scream out to a journalist and a writer to <laughs> tell my story, to, yes. So you know, so I, I that was one of the stories that fascinated me. Uh, and you know, the 1920s when when jazz is moving away from New Orleans mm-hmm. into into Chicago, uh, it's fascinating stories these early jazz musicians uh, talk about. So. I was trying to find out how they lived, what were the conditions they lived, and and that sort of thing. I tried to put myself in their place. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. So your love of history and your love of music have married together really well here. It, it has for me. It's kind of not so good for my wife because she gets <laughs> she gets bored. She with plays me. second fiddle sometimes. Yeah, well, she gets bored. You know, I can, I can tell when her eyes glaze over that. Uh, okay, I better better talk about plants or something. <laughs> Time to change the subject. Yeah, yeah. So I just found a lot of little stories like that. Yeah. That deserve a, a bigger, you know, a, a, mm-hmm. a, a telling of that story. Did you uncover some music 
that you didn't know about in in this journey? I'm constantly doing that now. I went to the Danny Barker Festival Sunday. Danny Barker was a banjo guitar player from New Orleans who 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 went on the road. He played with Cab Calloway's band. Oh, wow. And um, he came back to New Orleans and was pretty instrumental in helping get the brass band um the brass band movement started up again when he oh, taught wow. a bunch of young musicians. But um, I heard I heard um, uh, them play uh, Save the Bones for Henry Jones. Oh, wow. Because Henry don't eat no meat. <laughs> that's great. It's a great song there. That's, that's, yeah, that's a toe tapper right there. <laughs> you, you know, and I, I, I think I might have heard it before, but uh, yeah. he's vegetarian. Save the bones for Henry Jones. <laughs> he's a peach man. You know, so that's a great song. And I'm, all of this music is is new mm-hmm. to me and my band probably, members. Yeah, because, probably new to a lot of folks. Yeah, yeah, but in New Orleans, among the musicians in New Orleans, you just call them out. Yeah. They know them all. They know them all. So once again, the title of the book is Hidden History of Louisiana's Jazz Age. And where can we find this? Well, you can get it at my website, which okay. is uh, samirwin.net. And that's I-R-W-I-N, right? That's right. Sam-I-R-W-I-N. Okay. Samirwin.net. Okay. It's it's in the book in the big booksellers, the okay. you know the big bookstores here, the Barnes and Nobles here, okay. uh, and it's on the on, online retailers. So. Okay. And if you live in Baton Rouge, and if you order one, I, I can probably deliver it to it you. It can be delivered. <laughs> you might get a snag an autographed copy, huh? Well, yeah. Sam, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank I you. I can't Pam. wait to read this. I'm well, looking thanks. forward to it. Thank you. And we appreciate you joining us for AC23. We'll look for you next Sunday.